0: Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, our text for today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. The title of our message is Walking Carefully, Walking Carefully. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. I'm going to read this passage. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. This is the Word of God. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us to pay close attention to your word today as your word teaches us to pay close attention as followers of Christ to how we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many things in life call for special care. Would you agree with me on that? Many things in life call for special care. Let's think about it for a moment. An artist painting a masterpiece takes special care, paying careful attention to every uh brush of that, uh, uh, excuse, excuse me, stroke of that brush, right? Making sure it's just in the right place, just the right colors, just the right pressure on the brush. A mechanic fixing a car takes special care, paying careful attention to where all those bolts are coming from so that all those bolts can hopefully get back in the right place. A contractor building a house takes special care, paying careful attention to the blueprints to make sure that what is getting built matches all the dimensions and the layouts of, and the instructions in that blueprint. A coach takes special care, paying careful attention to his or her players, uh, careful attention to the opposing team, and careful attention to the game plan. An accountant takes special care, paying careful attention to every transaction, every number, every, every part of those spreadsheets. A teacher takes special care, paying careful attention to uh, the lesson plans and to each student in the classroom. A nurse takes special care, paying careful attention to every um, every part of the prescription plan of that patient, all the vitals of that patient um, and, uh, and the needs of that patient. A surgeon performing surgery takes special care, paying careful attention to everything Every movement, really, every every even the slightest motion of his or her hands, paying very close attention because every movement matters. In all of these cases, if special care is not taken, the results can range from just a bad day at the office to. Well, a a disaster with life-altering consequences. Church, it is good for us to take special care to pay careful attention in all sorts of areas of our lives. That is is a good thing. However, as followers of Christ, there is one thing that rises above all the rest in demanding our careful attention. How we live when it comes to living out in our day-to-day choices the salvation that God has blessed us with most definitely demands our careful attention. Church, think about who we are in Christ. As, as Christians, we bear a restored image of God, and one of the ways we bear God's image well is by living with a spirit-controlled care. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21 teaches us this, church. God restored his image in us so we would live with spirit-controlled care. God restored his image in us so that we would live with a spirit-controlled care. Paul explained how we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus in chapters 1 through 3. We are born sinners, but God uh, most lovingly sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that everyone who believes in Jesus would would have new life in Christ and be united to a, a new family, that is, the church but Paul didn't stop there with just chapters 1 through 3. He goes on in chapters 4 through 6 to describe how our lives are to look different once God has saved us. Chapters 4 through 6 are filled with descriptions, uh, further descriptions of who we are in Christ. And they're full of, uh, these chapters are full of commands of how we now are to live as people who have been made new in Christ. And to help us follow along with Paul's train of thought, we've been tracing Paul's use of this word, walk. Remember back in chapter 4, verse 1, he gave that general command. Uh, kind of, It covers a lot. It covers our whole lives. That command to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, worthy of the gospel. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, he said one of the things that means is that we no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, we no longer walk how we once lived, and we no longer walk how the world around us continues to live. And then he described our new lives in chapter 4, verse 24 by saying that we have been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So for Christians, for people who have believed in Jesus for salvation, God has graciously restored his image in us that was broken because of our sin, which means now as we live our lives, we are to put on display the restored image of God in us. We are to bear the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness in our choices that we make, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. And then Paul begins to get more specific. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called? What does it mean to to bear the restored image of God? In chapter 5, verse 2, he said that we're to walk in love. And we spent a a couple of weeks talking about that. Chapter 5, verse 8 said that we are to walk in light. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about that. But Paul is not finished with this word walk, church. We see him use this word walk one more time. We see it one more time in the book of Ephesians, and that's in our passage today. And he says that we are to walk carefully. Look at the first half of verse 15. Look carefully how you walk. You could say it this way. Look in such a way that you pay close attention to how you are walking. Remember that word walk simply means how we are living, the choices that we are making. Church family, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, if we're going to walk in love, if we're going to walk in light in the midst of a world that is selfish and dark, if we're going to walk in love, if we're going to walk in light in the midst of a world that is selfish and dark, then we must walk carefully. We must go about our day-to-day choices like a surgeon who is inserting a new valve into someone's heart. We have to pay very close attention to that. We must walk carefully. The problem, though, is that sometimes, maybe if we're honest, more times than not, we pay far more attention to things of temporary significance in our lives and far less attention to the things of eternal significance. Christian, one day we will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and give an account for our lives. Yes, our salvation is sealed, but our King who died to save us is going to want to see what we did with the salvation he died to provide for you and for me. And so we must pay attention to our lives. We must walk carefully when it comes to living out the new life that we have in Christ. In this passage, we see three ways we're to walk carefully Three ways were to walk carefully. Number one, careful walking means you make wise choices. Careful walking means you make wise choices. And Paul says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. And he explains what he means. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. So a careful walk is a wise walk. When we walk carefully, we're, we, we're, we're walking in the way of wisdom. We're making wise choices. So what does that mean? What, what, is, what does wisdom mean? What if, if somebody asked you, you said, What well, What does it mean to be wise? What might you say? What answer might you give? Let's think about it for just a moment. Sometimes we might think that being wise means to be smart or intelligent, but that's not the same thing as wisdom. There's nothing wrong with being smart or intelligent, but that's actually not the same thing as wisdom. There's actually plenty of smart people when it comes to knowing information or knowing how to do things or how things work. There's a whole lot of smart people who make really foolish choices. And so being smart in that sense is not the same as being wise. Being wise. Let me give you just four just things, to, to, to kind of a four parts of a definition of wisdom, okay? And, and then we're going to turn to the Psalms. We're going to look at the Psalms for a minute to see these play out in the book of Psalms. Being wise means, one, you acknowledge God for who He is. Number two, you trust in God's plan of salvation. Number three, you equip yourself with the truth of God. And then number four... You then actually live that out. You choose to do that which honors God. So you acknowledge God for who He is. You trust in God's plan of salvation. You equip yourself with the truth of God. And then you live all of that out. You you put that into practice in your life. You choose to do that which honors God. I want you to see this in the book of Psalms for a moment. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 10, the kings of the earth are told to be wise that right, command is there, be wise. And then the very next verse explains what that means in verse 11. So chapter 2, verse 10 of Psalms, uh, be wise, verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Is so that we could, we could, Talk the rest of our time just about those verses there, but let me summarize in just this this statement. According to Psalm 2, true wisdom means taking God and His ways seriously and seeking refuge in His Son. That's the first two parts of that definition I gave you. Acknowledging God for who He is, the sovereign Lord of all the earth, and then seeking refuge in His Son. Kiss the Son, that's a way of submitting to the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish in, in, in His wrath. But we can find refuge in Christ. Now, on the other hand, Psalm 14 tells us that to reject God, to not do that, is what the definition of being a fool is, of being unwise. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So The definition of foolishness, the ultimate definition of foolishness is to not acknowledge God for who he is. And then Psalm 19 and 119 teaches that wisdom is found in God's Word. This is what I mean by equipping ourselves with the truth of God. Psalm 19:7, the testimony, that's another word for the Word of God, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then Psalm chapter 119, verse 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. What makes us wiser? God's commandment, His law, His Word. And then Psalm 111 summarizes wisdom well. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Notice there, the fear of the Lord, again, that acknowledging God for who He is, that reverent awe of God. And then it says those who practice it. So we get into that fourth part of that definition. We actually live it out. We don't just say that we acknowledge who God is. It actually makes a difference in how we live our lives. So if we want to make, make wise choices, I'll go through that. kind of four parts of that definition again. We, one, acknowledge God for who He is. He's the one true God who is worthy of worship, who must punish sinners. Number two, we trust in His plan of salvation, right? We submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, trusting Him to rescue us from God's wrath. We then make sure we make sure that we're equipped with the truth of God, which is His word. So we fill our minds, we fill our lives with God's word, and then we live it out. We choose to do what honors God. We live in obedience to who God is and who He's revealed Himself to be in His word. That is true wisdom. And then Paul gives some more explanation and motivation about this command to pay attention. For the sake of being wise, look at verse 16. He says, "...making the best use of the time because the days are evil." We're going to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise but as wise... What else? Another description of that. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Church, we live in evil days. The days were evil in Paul's day. The days are evil in our day. And therefore, we must pay careful attention to how we are walking. We must look carefully at the choices we make because the evil one in this evil day is really good at making foolishness look beautiful. After all, Satan is the angel called an angel of light, clothes himself in, in disguises. We, it, oftentimes, foolishness, the foolish way, doesn't appear to be foolish on surface level. And so we must walk carefully because the days are evil. We must remain on guard. And we must make the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, our time here is short, which means we have a short amount of time in this life to participate in the grandest privilege of all times, which is to, to display the, 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 ma, the, the, the majestic, wonderful work of God in rescuing us from our sins so that we can then imitate his wisdom in the way that we walk. We, we have a short amount of time to get to participate here on this earth in that displaying the wisdom of God for others to see for the glory of God. And so there's no time to waste. Christian, our Heavenly Father is wise in all His ways, reflecting on God's creation. Psalm chapter 104, verse 24. If you're, if you're catching up on, uh, catching the hint here, if you want to learn about wisdom, the Psalms are a great place to go. And you can flip to the next book and read the book of Proverbs. It's a book full of wise sayings. Um, but, but I'm focusing on Psalm today as we think about wisdom. Psalm 104, 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. And So as we think about, we have been created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, which means we then bear the image of God. One of, that thing, one of the things that means is that we walk wisely because our Heavenly Father is wise, right? We're, we're to be a reflection of who our Father is, and, and God is, is wisdom. He's, he's wise in all of, all of His ways, and so if we're going to bear His image, then we're going to walk in wisdom as well. We're going to pay careful attention so that we make wise choices. Number two, Careful walking means you discern the Lord's will. Careful walking means you discern the Lord's will. Paul continues along the the same vein of thought here as we move into verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in light of the command to walk carefully, meaning to walk in wisdom, he says, therefore, you you need to not be foolish, But you need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's think for a moment of the the, the contrast here. We're not to be foolish. What does that mean in verse 17? It means we understand. We take the time. We walk carefully so that we can discern what the will of the Lord is. Church, it's so easy when we face choices. I don't mean like a choice of whether to eat an egg with cheese or an egg without cheese for breakfast. Okay, like that's that's not. I mean, that, depending on your your diet restrictions, that might be an important choice. Okay, so pay attention if that's you. But that's not what when we talk. When I'm not talking about choices today. We're talking about moral choices. We're talking about choices where where. God would say, that honors me, this choice, but this choice does not honor me. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about choices. It's so easy when we're faced with choices to quickly make decisions based on a false assessment metric. Like what I mean by a false assess- assessment metric, where you have this standard over here, and we're constantly saying, well, well how am I going to evaluate the choices that I make? We're always doing this. We may not realize we're doing it, but we're always evaluating. We're always weighing. Sometimes we do it real quickly, okay? Because in those things, when we do it really, really quickly, we call those habits. We just do it without thinking because they're habits. But at some point, we have evaluated those things. And sometimes we take a little bit more time. But it's so easy to use a false assessment metric. We often assess the choices before us according to what is popular in the culture around us. We use that as an assessment metric. Or according to what our peers are believing or choosing. We call that peer pressure. Or according to what will make our lives easier or more comfortable. Well, which one of these is going to be the easiest decision? And that's the one I'm going to go with. Or going to make my life more comfortable. Or, or we use a, an assessment metric of, of what will increase our status in the eyes of the world. What are people going to think about me? Right? What are people going to think about me? But brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, those things don't matter. Those things are foolish assessment metrics when it comes to bearing the image of God and walking in true righteousness and holiness. The only thing that matters when it comes to making moral choices is what the will of the Lord is. That is the assessment metric. Now, where do we find the Lord's will? You say, well, okay, well, what, is it, where, where, what does that assessment metric look like? Well, it looks like his word. That's where we find the Lord's will. Notice, notice here that Paul uses the word Lord. Now, you may have heard me say this as we've walked through Ephesians. Maybe you haven't. But, but when Paul uses the word Lord, he's talking about Jesus. It's a title that he uses to give to Jesus. So we've seen several passages in here where we have a reference to the Trinity. We see him talk about God, the Father. We see him talk about Jesus and the Son. Sometimes he uses the word Lord in the place of Jesus. So when he says discern the Lord's will, he's thinking about Jesus. And and I was just thinking about that, and I thought, well, if I want to know what the will of Jesus is, and Jesus is the word made flesh, then I ought to turn to the word written down to learn what the will of the Lord Jesus is. God's Word is the only assessment metric for Christians when it comes to making moral choices. Just for instance, for instance, am I justified in saying hurtful things about a person who has hurt me? Well, I can, put, I can line that question up with all kinds of assessment metrics, okay? But when I line it up to what God's Word says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. There's my assessment metric. Am I justified, let's do another example, am I justified in speaking harshly to my kids when they have disobeyed me one too many times? Or maybe we, we often don't put it that way, we say they got on my last nerve, that's how we often say it, but that's what we mean, you've disobeyed me one too many times. Am I then justified at that point in speaking harshly to my kids? Well what, what does God's word say? Ephesians chapter six verse four says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, and Proverbs chapter fifteen verse one says, "A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up, provokes anger. Well, there's the assessment metric right there i don't have to I don't have to go anywhere else. I know the answer. no, I'm not justified in doing that. Let's do another one. Can I seek sexual pleasure outside of the marriage covenant well There's all kinds of assessment metrics to answer that question in our world today. But if I go to God's word, it's pretty clear. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So I don't have to go anywhere else. I just say, well, that's what God's word says. The answer is is no, I I can't seek that pleasure outside of the marriage covenant. Let me do one more. Can, Can I be thankful, excuse me, I mean to say thankful. Can I be a faithful? Can I be a faithful Christian on my own and just skip the whole church thing? Can I be a faithful Christian on my own by myself and just skip the whole church thing? Well, I could go out to the world and I could I could find all these assessment metrics, but I could just go to God's word. And what does God's word say? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we could just keep going. I'm just, I'm just picking a few examples. Some of those have to do with what we've been learning about in Ephesians. Actually, many of them do. And so, so I, we could keep going. You, you see the point? We just go to God's word. So what does God's Word say? If I want to discern what the Lord's will is, then I'm just going to go to God's Word. God has not left us wondering what is right and wrong in His eyes. He has made His ways clear. The problem is that sometimes we don't walk carefully. We don't. Well, We we, we make decisions oftentimes. Just think about it. We often make decisions uh, like a toddler walking through a minefield, right? We're just aimlessly kind of taking steps, not... We're just not paying attention to the danger that's all around us whenever we, we make choices that bring dishonor to God because sin always leads to destruction. Just going wherever we feel like going or wherever looks fun in the moment. We don't take the time to discern what the will of the Lord is by going to the Scriptures and allowing what God has said to determine, be the final say in what we will do. As Paul said in chapter 4, verse 20, that is not the way you learn Christ, Christian. That is not the way I learned Christ. Church, as followers of Jesus, we must discern, we must think carefully and clearly about the will of the Lord and then wisely walk in that way. When we are walking carefully, we will discern what the Lord's will is. And number three, careful walking means you allow the Spirit to control your life. Make wise choices, discern the Lord's will, and you allow the Spirit to control your life. Now, we get to verse 18. We have this word Spirit here, and this word Spirit is in reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. God is three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the Spirit that Paul is talking about here. But notice that Paul doesn't say only be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't just give that command, but he gives another command before it that sets up a really helpful contrast. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. There's a like a negative command, uh, something we shouldn't do, for that is debauchery. And then the positive command, what we should do, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul's contrasting being drunk by means of wine to being filled by means of the Spirit. So we want to see what this contrast is. What happens when someone is drunk. Well, the alcohol takes over and suppresses neurological impulses such that the person's decision-making becomes impaired. That's my fancy definition that I came up with, okay? Now let me give you another definition. Too much alcohol makes you do stupid and sinful stuff, okay? That's that's the dumbed-down version of it, okay? Fancy definition, it impairs our neurological impulses such that we make uh, impaired decisions. Makes us do stupid and sinful stuff. And the, the, the word that the Bible uses here is debauchery, which just means that, that choices that would come uh, when we're doing stupid and sinful stuff. We're not paying attention to our lives and we don't care about honoring God in that moment. It's debauchery, all right? Stupid and sinful stuff. But Paul is saying more than just drunkenness is a sin. He's obviously saying that, but he's he's doing something more than saying drunkenness is a sin. He's using the imagery of a person who is under the influence of alcohol to make the case, to paint the picture for us of a Christian who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to draw a, a contrast between these two things. Think about it. Just like a drunk person is being controlled by the alcohol, now that's not an excuse for the behavior that comes because that person's made the choice to drink it in the first place, but but when that person becomes drunk, then that person ends up being controlled by the alcohol in that same way, in a similar way, maybe I should say, in a similar way, when the Spirit fills our lives, we become controlled by the Spirit. You see what Paul's doing here? He's kind of painting a picture. He's not just saying drunkenness is a sin, though it is. He's saying I want you to think about this. You need to be filled with the spirit in such a way that you're controlled by the spirit, like a drunk person who's who's under the influence of alcohol just may not even remember what they're doing because they're under the control of that substance. We want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit fills us, the Spirit controls us. And when the Spirit controls us, we walk carefully. We walk in wisdom. And this is where we see the contrast, right? There's kind of a comparison under the influence of something, but then it's a contrast because the person under the control of alcohol, their decisions look way different than the person who's under the control of the Spirit. When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, we walk in the Lord's will. We bear the image of God accurately. Our lives look like true righteousness and holiness. I want to consider just a few questions for just a moment. Um, now, Paul has already said in, in, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that we already have the Spirit. He said in 1 14 that we've been sealed with the Spirit. So, do we have the Spirit or do we not have the Spirit? Because he says, be filled with the Spirit, but he's already said that we have the Spirit. So, so what does he mean? I, I think the best way to understand this biblical truth is by remembering the already but not yet nature of our salvation, right? Just like. When the moment we trust in Jesus, God justifies us completely before him. He clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. We are fully saved. And yet, that begins a journey of growing in likeness, where what is already true of us then becomes worked out in our practice each and every day. Well, it's the same kind of thing here. We are already filled with the Spirit in the sense that we are saved. The Spirit has transformed our lives, and yet we're working that out. We're we're allowing the Spirit to continue to have control over our lives so that what is already true of us, I'm a Spirit-filled person, will actually play itself out in my day-to-day living. We're saved and we are being saved, the Bible says. We're filled and we are being saved filled. And it's as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit that he continually fills us. Here's another question. What steps should I take as a Christian to make sure I'm continually being filled by the Spirit? The command here is to be filled, right? So, but, but it's a passive, to be filled. So we're not actually the ones ultimately who are doing the filling. It's the Spirit who's doing the filling, filling us more and more with Jesus. But what role do I play in that as I cooperate with the Spirit? Well, i think we can go back to the way that we make wise choices and go back to the way we discern the Lord's will. We fill our minds with God's Word. Church, a heart and mind continually plowed over with the Word of God is ready to receive the reign of the Holy Spirit as He fills us. It is the Word that the Spirit uses to fill us with Himself, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But a heart and a mind that is hardened by a lack of God's word can only expect to have the 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 rain the power of the holy spirit run off like rain just runs off of hardened soil i want to take you to quickly to two places in the scripture to support this this claim this belief that our role in being continually filled by the Spirit is to saturate ourselves with God's Word. In in John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And just a few minutes later, Jesus prayed for them, for his disciples, and he prayed to the Father and said, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. So when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Your Word is truth. And so we see a very close relationship between the work of the Spirit and the Word of God. The Spirit doesn't work apart from the Word of God. And then in Colossians chapter 3, we find a very similar passage to the one we're studying today. In fact, the passages, you can go there later, chapter 3 of of, uh, of Colossians, it's very similar um, to this passage here. And in chapter 3, verse 16, um, Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what comes after is basically verses 19 through 21 of Ephesians. So if you line those passages up side by side, they're almost exactly the same, except in place of be filled with the Spirit, which he says in Ephesians. In Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is Paul saying two different things? Nope. He's saying the same thing because to be filled with the Spirit is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, the Spirit will be filling us. The Spirit and the Word go together. We can't fill ourselves; only the Spirit can fill us. But we can feast upon God's Word, letting it dwell in us richly. And when we do, Christian, the Spirit will control us. And then I want to ask this third question: What then does it look like? Right? We talked about what the what it looks like when the drunk person is under the under the influence of alcohol. Right? Um, it looks like that alcohol blurring their focus. Right? It's what happens in a in a kind of a. a Literal way, boring focus, but also in a metaphorical way. They can't make right decisions because everything's out of focus. But when we're under the control of the Spirit, the opposite happens. We actually become laser focused. What do we become focused on? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus is on Jesus when the Spirit is controlling us. Everything we do becomes about Jesus. The job, the, the work, the way the Holy Spirit works is through His Word what the holy spirit produces is glory going to jesus. john chapter 15 verse 26 jesus said but when the helper that's another word for the spirit comes whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will what's he going to do? what's the spirit what's the spirit do? bear witness about me. this is what jesus is saying when the spirit comes he's going to make he's going to put all the focus on me. Anyone who allows the Spirit to control their lives, their lives will put all the focus on Jesus. Jesus will become the center of attention in the person's life who is controlled by the Spirit. Now, Paul goes on in this passage, verse 19 through 21, and he gives four results of a Spirit-controlled person. I'm going to give these to you I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly. Okay, we could spend a lot more time talking about these, but but we're gonna we're gonna finish this passage today. Um, so listen fast if you're writing notes, you might have to write fast, or just or just listen. It's all right here in the text. You don't have to write this down. But let me quickly give you these four results. So What does it look like for a, for a for a person who's filled with the Spirit to then be focused on Jesus? Paul gives four things. Now this isn't. An exhaustive list. There's more things that Paul could put in this list that we could add in this list. But just notice the four things that Paul says is going to be true of someone who is uh, controlled by the Spirit. Number one, people controlled by the Spirit sing Jesus-filled songs to one another. We sing Jesus-filled songs to one another. Paul says, addressing one another. This is what happens when the Spirit controls us. We'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual ch- songs. Church, one of the marks of a person who's saved and allowing the Spirit to control his or her life is singing with God's people. That's one reason we place an emphasis on singing in our worship gatherings because it's it's what we're commanded to do, but it's just what we should want to do as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. All throughout God's word from the Old Testament to the New, we see God's people singing not just by themselves, which is okay to do, but together. Moses and the people of Israel sang a song of victory after God delivered them from the Egyptians. Paul and Silas together sang a song while they were in prison. And if we fast forward to the book of Revelation and John's vision of heaven, we hear not solos, that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, but we don't hear solos. We hear the redeemed people singing together before the throne of God. Church, when we sing together, we're encouraged to keep believing in Jesus and to keep living for Jesus. We address one another with the truth of Christ and song. It encourages us to keep believing and keep living for Jesus. And I say Jesus-filled songs because of that word spiritual there. The word spiritual includes the word spirit. Remember what we just said about the Spirit. His job is to testify to Jesus. And so if the songs that we sing are spiritual, see what I did there? there, spiritual songs, then there'll be songs that are filled with Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes much of Jesus Christ the Son. Second thing we see, uh, people controlled by the Spirit, It's going to sound like same song, second verse. Sing Jesus-focused songs from the heart. Sing Jesus-focused songs from the heart. You say, well, that's what we just talked about. Well, Paul decides to say it twice, okay? He gives it to us twice. And notice what he says. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart if you look at the structure even in the language here it's kind of like that's a a second thing if Paul is writing a bullet point list this would be bullet point number two but he in a way says the same thing we sing Jesus focused songs from the heart singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart brothers and sisters there's just no way around it God's people are a singing people Now, some people are better at it than others. I'd put myself in the not not that great at it category, but I love to sing praises to the Lord. But we're all to sing praises to the Lord. Everyone who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are to sing praises to the Lord. In the first half of that verse, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the emphasis was on together, singing together. In the second half, singing and making melody to the Lord your heart, the emphasis is on the with the heart the attitude with which we sing. Church, when the Spirit is controlling us, He doesn't just move our mouths like a puppet would, but that puppet's not feeling anything. That's not what it means to let the Spirit control us and then we sing, right? We're to sing from the heart, right? When the Spirit controls us, we sing from hearts overflowing with joy and adoration of Jesus. Oftentimes, and I'm sure you have experienced this as well, when I've spent quality time in God's Word, I just want to sing a song to God. Whether that's by myself, and I've been in God's Word, and I just I just want to sing. Sometimes when I'm preparing to preach, and you know, I'll kind of get to the end of, of what the Lord has just led me and laid on my heart as I'm uh, explaining the passage. I'm just by myself, whether I'm at home or here or wherever I'm in the car, and I, I just want to break out in song. And the same is true when we're together as we study God's Word. It ought to make us want to sing God's Word prompts praise of God through song. And again, the focus is on Jesus. We're singing and making melody to who? The Lord. That is Jesus, our King. Third thing that happens when we're controlled by the Spirit. People controlled by the Spirit give Jesus-centered thanks to the Father. We give Jesus-centered thanks to the Father. Look at verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when the Spirit controls us, we're focused on who? Jesus. And there is absolutely no way that you can be laser-focused on Jesus and spend your time complaining. Because that's the opposite of thanksgiving, is complaining. When you're focused on Jesus, you give thanks. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to endure temptation without ever sinning and to pour out his blood on the cross so that we who are guilty before a holy God could become holy. It's all a part of the Father's plan. And so when the Spirit controls us, we give thanks to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who did that for you and for me. We give Jesus-centered thanks to the Father. And then this fourth thing, people controlled by the Spirit, follow Jesus' honoring roles in the home and the workplace. People controlled by the Spirit follow Jesus' honoring roles in the home and workplace. Now you might be thinking, whoa, that sounds like you just opened up a whole nother topic here. And I did, but I'm going to put the top back on it real quick, okay? Because we're, we're going to open this topic up in the coming weeks. Verse 21 serves as a hinge verse. It's, it's the fourth bullet point in Paul's list of what it looks like to be controlled by the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But he then unpacks what he means by that in the next verse all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. And so I'm kind of giving you just a quick taste of what's coming in the book of Ephesians. People controlled by the Spirit follow Jesus' honoring roles in the home and the workplace. <clears throat> I just want you to notice that this submission is done out of reverence for Christ. You see a theme here? You see a theme where Jesus is the theme, right? When the Spirit controls us, we make much of Jesus. We we do these things out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Jesus. And so we'll talk about these particular roles in the coming weeks that affect the home and the workplace, but go ahead and put this in your mind. These are Jesus-honoring roles that are put into practice by people controlled by the Spirit. And I'll try to remind us of that in the coming weeks. So those are four characteristics of spirit-controlled people. Now, we've covered a lot today. We've covered a lot today. But let see the big picture as we close. God has restored his image in us, and so we ought to live in a way that reflects who he is, not who we once were or not the world around us. And we can only do that, church, if we walk carefully, careful to make wise choices, careful to discern the Lord's will, and careful to allow the spirit to control our lives. Church, why must we walk carefully? because temptation is lurking around every corner years ago i was duck hunting one of my favorite things to do and uh i was duck hunting i was in a pond about thigh deep water maybe waist deep water and uh and it was about time to leave and so i was making my way out of this pond and it was a beaver pond which means what do beavers do they cut down trees right and um Apparently sometimes they just cut them down and leave them there. And uh, and then they make a dam and then it fills up and then you can't see the tree that's laying there under the muddy, murky water. Well, I know that about this pond, and so I'm always very careful to walk carefully. That particular day it was below freezing. It's so already below is below freezing. I'm y'all if y'all know me, I don't like the cold. I like duck hunting, so I, I, I endured it. And, um, and so I was ready to get out of there and uh, go collect my duck that I had shot and get out of there. And I started walking, and I hit one of those trees. And before I knew it, I was swimming, okay? I mean it. I was swimming. So what happens when I hit that uh, tree about right at my shins, I tripped and went face first into the water, and those waders, those rubber boots, floated to the top of the water. I'm not making this up. And they floated both my feet, like I can't do this right now I a face plant, but both my feet just right up. Well, what also happens, I've got chest waders on, I go down, my waders are filling with water. I mean, just pouring in like a waterfall. I am doggy paddling in place. I mean, I'm not moving anywhere, but in place because I'm trying to get my front end up. And I'm trying to get my back end down and get my feet under me. And the whole time, remember, it's freezing, literally below freezing temperatures. And I, I, I mean, it's just pouring in, and I'm hating every second of it. Once I got my feet under me, I realized I wasn't holding my shotgun. I dropped it. And that pond, you just sink in the mud. Like if you stand in one place for more than three seconds, you, you're going to have to work your way out. And so I, I, I got up. I, I'm standing up. I'm, f- I'm starting to freeze. i um, got water all on my waders. And I go, I don't have my shotgun. Well, I mean, I got, I I'm not leaving my shotgun. So I literally dive back under the water. I mean, head and everything, go down, find, dig through the mud, find my shotgun, pull it back up. Now I mean, I'm drenched. I'm muddy. And I uh, decide I need to walk out of there. Now, what I really want to do was kick the mess out of that tree, right? Or find the beaver and kick the beaver. But outside of that tree had already done enough damage in my life for that day, I chose to then step carefully over that tree, make my way out, and get back to some dry clothes before hypothermia started to step in, set in. Maybe I'm overstating it, but I'm telling you, it was, it was cold. It was cold. Church, that story, well, it wasn't funny when it happened. It's kind of funny now when I look back. But all of it could have been prevented if I would just walked carefully. If I would just walked carefully. Church, how much sin in our lives would be prevented if we just walked carefully? If we just paid attention to the choices that we're making? Perhaps today you can't walk carefully for the glory of Jesus because you don't belong to Jesus. And if that's you, you need to turn from your sin and you need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You've heard the gospel today. Jesus died for our sins. He's the only way that we can be saved. He rose up from the dead to give us everlasting life. And so the first step for you today in walking carefully if you've never been saved is to trust in Jesus for salvation so that then his spirit can fill you. You can live with spirit-controlled care. Jesus was perfectly wise. He perfectly discerned and obeyed God's will. He was never controlled by simple desires, but only by the Spirit. He is and did what we are not and could not do on our own. And he did it for us so that we could be saved. So if you need to believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus today. And if you are saved, are you walking carefully? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that as your word continues to saturate our hearts, this passage that we have spent time in today, learning and studying um, what your word says, Father, I pray that we would respond appropriately. If anyone needs to call on Jesus to be saved, Lord, I pray that they would do that. That they would say, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin, and I believe in you. And Father, for all of us who have trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that we would reflect on our lives. Maybe there's a particular area of our life where we haven't been walking carefully and Satan is tripping us up. Father, I pray that we would confess that to you, that you would help us to walk carefully each and every day for the glory of Jesus. And Father, as we have just learned from your word, that people controlled by the Spirit Sing songs of praise to Jesus together. Father, help us to put that into practice right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.